0: Hello and welcome to MapBytes episode 152. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host, Mike Thomas. In this episode, we have a fully two-factored fan and Timmy proves himself to be a man of the cloth. First, an update to Jelly Scrolling Gate, A potential solution, no less, but only in the next physical version. And only then if Apple deploy 121 hertz ProMotion technology and add that to the smallest tablet. Why is this needed? The original iPad didn't have jelly scrolling. By comparison to the technology in this iPad mini, that must be prehistoric by now. I can only imagine how some of those who've bought this model must be feeling right now. I know it's been a while since Apple actually used the term buttery smooth in a presentation, But surely that's mainly because we've come to expect it. I, for one, certainly wouldn't expect the consumption experience to get worse on a new device. Will they do it? Who knows? They've long been a law unto themselves, especially in relation to fixing stuff that shouldn't actually be broken. And talking of hardware, things noticed since the great Apple event as the hardware announced starts arriving. Should we say niggles? Probably. Apparently, there is a huge 140 watt power supply on the 16 inch model. If it gets much bigger, it'll need its own postcode. And despite the size, the 16 inch only fast charges through the MagSafe, whereas the 14 inch fast charges via both USB-C and the MagSafe. There's a strange decision. But not as strange as Colourgate. The colour of the MagSafe connector on this said power supply doesn't match the space grey model. So it's like a Model T Ford. You can have any colour as long as it's silver. You couldn't make this stuff up. Oh, the attention to detail. Where's it gone? Then there's braided cables. A pet peeve of mine. Why? Why? They attract dirt like a magnet and they can never be completely cleaned. Coated cables could be wiped down. In fact, made to look new again. Braided? No chance. I had a red headphone cable, smooth coated, perfect, until it broke. The only replacements I could find were braided and in a packet of two, which proved useful to compare the original colour and the colour after a couple of months of use of the first cable. Absolutely filthy and can't be cleaned. It's a breeding ground for any kind of germs. But since this cable from Apple is white, I have a potential solution. I'm reminded of the shoe whiteners we used to use as kids for your white plimsolls. It was like a watered down emulsion. If you didn't do it the night before school, you left wet white footprints on the way out of the door. It'll be Apple's next product, cable whitener at only $19 a bottle. Talking of $19, who fell for the $19 cleaning cloth? So valuable and so expensive. There were reports of signed for deliveries all over Twitter. I'm not sure I'd want to publicly admit I'd spent $19 on a 6.3 inch by 6.3 inch piece of cloth, but each to their own. It's so popular, it's currently on three month back order. So that's every single person on the planet except me ordering one then. It does have the Apple logo embossed on one corner, but still. One guy bought four and posted his bounty on Twitter. The quote was, I've just spent $4,000 on a new laptop, so what's another 19? And right there is the reason that AppleKit is so expensive, because we keep buying it. I, however, am not spending $19 on a cloth. That's where this piece would have ended. But there was an update only a couple of days ago. An anonymous Apple official saying that the company is apparently not surprised, quote, by the demand. Not surprised because the accessory is very effective, quote, at its job. Okay, full quote. An Apple official said in an interview, based on the condition that the New York Times not quote or identify her, that the company was not surprised by the demand for the polishing cloth. The official said the cloth was very effective and had been designed to be special. I'm going to repeat that. Been designed to be special, including a custom light grey colour. Apple said the cloth was made of non-woven microfibre, but declined to elaborate. Designed to be special. <clears throat> Why anonymous? Why anonymous? Are they ashamed of seeing it or something? I mean, obviously I would be, but I thought they were beyond that kind of shame. Unbelievable. Even worse was iFixit doing a teardown of said cloth. (laughs) Not even joking. It was a serious forensic style analysis of the thing. Actually, it's two pieces of fabric stuck together. So a complete bargain at only $9.50 each then. My eyes are rolling that much here, it's frightening.
1: I can see her, and believe me folks, it's very scary.
0: As predicted, the notch loomed large in every review. And it only got worse as the coveted MacBook Pro started to arrive and the full horror of the whole thing was revealed. Mainly, menu items obscured. If you have more than a handful of icons on the right of the menu bar, they too play hide-and-seek behind the notch. Bartender has got you covered. It has a setting to save your sanity. But seriously, Apple? Dislike for the iPhone notch was a personal choice, but at least it didn't obscure the functionality of the device. And I recall a story about Steve Jobs having staff sit up all night polishing cable connectors so the sound that they made was just right in the demonstration the next day when the products were launched. I wonder what he would have made of all these issues. I know we're told to suck it up, just like all the other stuff folks have disliked about Apple laptops over the last five years. Touch bar, no ports, MagSafe. We were told to suck that up too. And then the missing features returned and the touch bar vanished. And with a bit of luck, by the time I'm in the market for a new Mac laptop, the notch will have gone the way of the touch bar. In the meantime, there's always denotchifier, an app to hide the notch, and Apple also have a solution, the scale to fit option, which shrinks the screen to avoid the notch. Oh, not good. And another quarter, another earnings call. Revenue up, but shares down. And to add insult to injury, Microsoft overtook Apple to become the world's most valuable public company. How did that happen? The share slump in value after the call was enough, apparently. Still, Timmy can take heart. He can console himself. He has something Microsoft do not have. A notch on his flagship tech. Next up, an edict from Google via YouTube. Don't think for one moment that we undertook the not so insignificant issue of two factoring our Google accounts lightly. We put it off for as long as possible. In fact, but for the threat of not being able to get into our YouTube channel studio, we wouldn't have been doing it at all. So we finally caved to the two factor now messages splashed right across the top of YouTube. There was actually no workflow for this from YouTube. There was a link, but all that did was dump you in the Google backend and left you to your own devices. Bizarrely, as far as I was concerned, at least initially, the two-factor option just simply wasn't there. There was a security section, and in that, it just said password. And that was for both of us. I solved this problem by visiting the admin page of the workspace account and enabling two-factor for the organisation. But to do that, you need to be a super admin. But since it's my organisation, I could do that. However, it might have solved my problem, but it did not help Mike in the slightest. Two videos and several help pages later, we were none the wiser. Until I realised that despite you thinking you were logged in to what was the standard Google account, your workspace account had sprung to life and taken control. Hence, no two-factor option for you either. Somehow, you'd managed to log in on two Google accounts at the same time. Multiple Google accounts don't do that. Use a browser that's only logged into the account that you actually want to two factor before you find yourself two factoring the wrong account through no fault of your own. So you use Safari, I think, in the end. And you never use that for anything else. So that worked fine. That was not logged into anything Google related. The next issue was my recovery address, which was set to one of my original dot Mac aliases. Mm, not logged in there in years. It was the last place I would have looked for a recovery mail. So first job, change that to something more contemporary. Once we were finally up and running and following along with each other step by step, we still got offered completely different configurations. I was offered device authentication. Mike was offered standard text or call authentication. Now, there's actually three forms of authentication available. Text or a call which is the standard one, the Google Authenticator, which is an app for Android and iOS, and that just generates a code for you. And the third option is Google device. Now, what's a Google device? Well, it doesn't actually mean a Google device. Just to add to the general hilarity here, it means a device. It could be an iPhone, could be an iPad, but any device that's actually successfully already logged into Google. Now, we'd already discussed this and decided that device authentication would be easier and faster. And that's because when the two-factor notification arrives, if you've elected device authentication, all you need to do is confirm it's you. Both of the other methods necessitate you transferring the code that they give you into where you're actually trying to log in. So more error prone. We also figured it would be easier given the number of times that Google actually requests we log in, not uncommonly in the middle of a live show, which yet again happened in the middle of our music show, Brooklyn's 196 by request this week. We were still open minded, though. But as it turned out, you can enable more than a single option. Might as well enable as many as possible, said I. Give yourself the best chance of getting in in an emergency. It turns out Google has a preferred pecking order. So once I'd enabled all three options, I couldn't select the order. The order given is device authentication first, followed by the Google Authenticator, followed by text or a call. Mike, however, got offered the Google Authenticator once she would logged in, obviously. <laughs> never logged in, never updates, never logged in uh, and, or text and a call. So it worked. That was a relief. But now when Google demands we log in again, the entire office lights up like a Christmas tree. Result. Now, there's something so satisfying about watching an idiotic decision come back and bite a company on its derriere. Having said that, it's becoming a bit repetitive in terms of the cause of said decision. Yes, the age old subscription model. I know, I know. How many times do we need to go through this before these companies realise we don't like subscriptions? And when I say don't like subscriptions, I mean really don't like subscriptions. There's an increasingly long list of them. Adobe Creative Cloud, Ulysses, Recorder, Fantastical, BusyCal. This time, Notability. Notability. It excels at the creation and management of handwritten notes. It was a close decision for me between notability and good notes, made more difficult when good notes went Catalina only before I did, which was how I got dragged into this latest unholy mess. For a few months, I used notability for all the jobs I would normally have undertaken with good notes. And there were things that I liked about Notability. In fact, some things that I preferred over GoodNotes. But certain features of GoodNotes were stronger, and I moved back to GoodNotes as soon as I finally did the Catalina thing. So what exactly did Notability do? Well, they proudly proclaimed that they'd released a new version of the app. So far, so good. They then proudly proclaimed that said new version was going to be a freemium app. Hmm. My blood ran cold because we all know what that means. But it took the company, Ginger Labs, another blog post to mention the S word subscription. So the original plan was to introduce a subscription $14.99 a year, reduced to $11.99 for an introductory period. Existing users would get a year's free use. After that time, they could either subscribe or use the free version. But the free version would not include features they'd previously paid for, the most significant of which was iCloud Sync. Now, I know, iCloud Sync syncs whenever it feels like it, which isn't often, but still. My first thought was, surely that's penalising existing users they'll miss out on the initial discount. And that's before we consider the lost features. Now, you might be asking yourself a perfectly legitimate question. How do you lose features that you've already paid for? And the answer is in exactly the same way as I've experienced with other app store apps. The one that grates the most is actually Recorder. It was a simple app and I used it for years to make recordings on my devices. But then it suddenly went subscription. I mean, subscription for a recording app. Anyway, here's how it goes. You buy an app. Let's say it's version 1.0 of that app. It gets updated over the next few months or years. You update your installed version. All is well. Then the developer starts to consider a 2.0 release. If they release that as a completely new app, like in the old days, you have a choice. You could upgrade and pay for the new version with or without a discount, depending on what system the developer is using. Or you could proactively choose to stick with what you've got, paying no more. But you wouldn't lose access to what you already have. But that is what's happening in the App Store, and it's unethical at best. Version 2.0 is released via the App Store, and it replaces the previous 1.x version in the store. 2.0 appears in your list of updates. Massive air quotes there. Once you've updated to this new version, you find that it's actually 2.0 and not a minor update to your previously paid for version. At that point, if 2.0 requires payment to unlock features that you previously had access to, you're stuffed. That's a technical term. There's no way back. If you want to stick with what you already had, then to be honest, your option isn't great. You've got to remember not to tap update all, because if you do, you're going to inadvertently update apps that you've decided to stay on the previous version. It's a minefield. I have less problem with the subscription notability of rolled out than I do with making this version 11 release an update to version 10 rather than a standalone app. If the features are different and the pricing model is different, then release it as a new version and let people choose whether to upgrade or not. Apple shouldn't allow this bait and switch model to exist. But then they're not actually interested in anything beyond their 30% of this racket, are they? And that's exactly what happened with Recorder. If I update the version I have, I will lose features I have already paid for. I read the release notes, but many folks don't, particularly when you pick up your phone and it says 63 updates. I only updated two hours ago what happened, because around the time of an iOS release, the updates are coming thick and fast. It would be virtually a full time job to read those release notes. But if you don't, this could happen to you. I highly recommend you do get into the habit of reading the release notes if you've got the time. You know, (laughs) obviously easier if you're retired. But there's many an unscrupulous trick caught that way, which is why I bother. In this case, the whole thing was made more complicated by the extensive range of in-app purchases. The way in-app purchases are presented to users is a pet peeve of mine. You really do have no idea of the details before you download and install the app. The list in the app store is often incomplete or truncated to the point of being useless. Now, what I knew was that the fourteen ninety nine was reduced to eleven ninety nine. I knew that from the blog posts, but what for? The iOS version, the Mac version, both versions, not a clue. So I went to the App Store on macOS after the release of version eleven, and I was presented with a wall of in-app purchases: handwriting recognition two forty nine, feel good journal. That one was free, handy. I wasn't really feeling the love at that moment. Back to school basics. P. That one was free as well. I have no idea what it is because the in-app purchase was rudely truncated. See what I mean? Math recognition. Two forty-nine. Portrait Planner seven-day trial free. Seven-day trial free. Spring. Eighty-nine pence. Digital notebook. Eight ninety-nine. Interesting. I wonder what that is. Fall. Eighty-nine pence. And every day, 50 pack, £1.79. Mm. But the 14 99 stroke eleven wasn't even listed. So I was none the wiser. Then there's this freemium. What does freemium actually mean? It means in addition to people invested enough to pay for an app, they're opening the doors to freeloaders. Folks not invested enough in the app to have bought it previously, nor invested enough to pay a subscription for it now, but eager enough for something free. It was also completely free for K-12. Supporting learning or a cynical ploy to hook young users like a pusher? Hmm. You will get more users if it's free, but support isn't free. It's paid for by those prepared to subscribe. Now, I know Notion do the same, and it annoys me when I, as a paying customer, have to wait three days for a reply to a support ticket. Are freeloaders really the user base you want? They're a cost to the business. They have no reason to stick around. They have no investment. What if every user you have decided to go for the free plan? To try to ensure that doesn't happen, one of the features unavailable to free users is iCloud Sync sounds like Evernote, crippled to the point that the free version is little more than a perpetual trial. The other issue is that such users are vocal enough about their limited and deliberately restricted experience with the app to kill the developer stone dead on social media. Why would any company want to get embroiled with that kind of audience? It recently happened to Rome research on Reddit. People piling in, criticising the application, but doing so while at the same time admitting they didn't actually use it. (laughs) I couldn't make this stuff up. And right there is reason enough to actively discourage free users. Those who have access to only a limited range of features and are vocal about what they're missing. A proper trial should be enough to evaluate an application. So what was the fallout? Do I even need to tell you what happened? Just in case you've been living under a rock since Adobe introduced the most loathed subscription on the planet in 2013, let me tell you. Uh, Summarised, the proverbial hit the fan. Not a single comment on their announcement post in favour. Plenty of vitriol. All saying exactly what's been said before about what the post considered to be sharp practice. First and foremost of which the removal of features already paid for. And that was the limit for most posters. Some reporting the company to authorities in the States, the authorities involved in consumer protection and more. So clearly a new plan was needed. Within 48 hours, we had a new plan. The company decided to grandfather existing users, allowing you to keep the features you've already paid for. Really? Should I have to thank them for that? And we, of course, are supposed to trust that they won't try this kind of thing again. Well, there's two views on that. One, at least they apologised. Others in similar circumstances didn't bother. Two, any degree of research regarding subscriptions should have told them exactly what to expect and more importantly, what not to do. How can users be expected to trust a company that even considered doing what they initially announced despite the extreme reactions to every other subscription rollout in living memory? It's chancing it at best and bordering on criminal at worst. Imagine buying a car and the dealer coming round and taking the wheels off retrospectively. It reminds me of MacBytes 118, hijinks with enterprising app bandits. What a fabulous title. But if they think they can get away with it, history shows they'll sure try. Postscript to this sad little affair. Something overlooked in the furore over the price. A new icon, possibly the most ugly icon I've ever seen. The original icon was a pencil with a microphone where the eraser would be. And indeed, it still is, but with big, thick black borders it looks like a colouring in project. Well, either that or a deformed salt pot. In fact, it's so bad, I did wonder if David Hockney had been commissioned to create it. What they'll do next, doubtless, is add an in-app purchase to allow you to change the icon. That and a whole library of exclusive David Hockney icons. Pro tip to the developers, don't do that, or I'll charge you for having to look at them. So there we were, Mac OS Monterey release day to do the deed or to do the sane thing. But, well, what's life without some risk? We went for the full Monty. That could be taken the wrong way, couldn't it? It certainly could. Let's just leave that image there anyway. The first download on my main Mac went blindingly fast. I should caveat that by saying that was the Mac I had absolutely no intention of installing it on. When I tried to download on the crash test dummy Mac, the fun really started. The first attempt to download it, I was told there was no such update. This was despite clicking the link in the Mac App Store to be taken directly to it. The second attempt, oh, it proudly proclaimed... It was going to take seven hours to download. I should explain the first one took maybe eight, nine minutes. So seven hours seemed a little bit on the excessive side. I'll transfer the original download, I thought. Got to be faster physically. So I grabbed a micro SD card, which needed an adapter. The adapter needed a card reader. The card reader needed a dongle. Thanks for that, Apple. But at least it worked and we were off to the races. Only a couple of minutes later, I had the installer ready to go. And if only that had been the end of our adventures. I double clicked the installer and nothing. In fact, worse than nothing, I got a message. Can't be installed on this, Mac. What? I had no choice but to update the Biggles install to the very latest Biggles install before I could do it. Uh, these, oh, and once I'd done that, there were two supposedly optional updates that I had to do before it agreed to let me install Monty. It predicted 59 minutes. Have you noticed that? Isn't that the equivalent to 99 pence on the end of a price? <laughs> I like that. Yes, I like that. Just not quite the hour. It's worth your while sitting and watching it. We won't be long. And indeed, it looked, it it was great or it looked it until it got stuck at the 15 minute mark for about 20 minutes. And, And every time I glanced at it, no, still 15 minutes, just 15 minutes to go. Finally, it did complete. After some hair-raising corpsing, though, during the process, you know where the screen itself looks like it's frozen solid or it goes into a reboot stage and then it just never seems to come back. That. But eventually I I got, I was going to say the bong of doom, but it's kind of the the bong of joy, isn't it? When it finally comes back and says, I finished. Was it 59 minutes? Do you know it wasn't actually far off? But by then I'd lost all sense of time and space because they, they said 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Anyway, first impressions. Well, apart from several permission requests, I, I should actually say several hundred, shouldn't I? There was quite a lot of them. Um, and needing to manually run a couple of apps that should have run automatically. It really was a case of move along, nothing to see. The lack of share play at the point of launch and the universal control meant I thought the changes were subtle at best.
2: I know universal control isn't ready, but it reminded me of a funny story. Universal control, of course, being the ability to control multiple Macs from one keyboard and mouse. Way back in around 2006, 2007, it was certainly the early days, I pressed a button on my Apple remote. Do you remember those? the Apple remotes. Oh, I do. This the white plastic one. They're the white plastic ones, yes. Somehow it set your iMac screen to black. Bad words were set at that day, just before a possible heart attack on your side of the office. Why did that happen? Well, I didn't realise that I could actually control your Mac with my remote. It shouldn't actually have been possible. It should be paired to a specific device. I think um, that was the last time I actually used it. Anyway. Did I confiscate it? I think you did confiscate it. It's highly probable I did after that. I'm sure you did confiscate it, yes. That actually used to scare me because I had two Apple remotes and I used to keep them in a drawer, you know, that Draw unit just to the right of my desk, and I thought that so somehow <laughs> it it would accidentally press itself and, and you know turn your screen yes. black. Yes,
0: so I confiscated yeah. the end of that story. <laughs> if anything ever required a label on it, so so one that says Mike can use this, and the other one, do
2: not touch on pain of death. <clears throat> that. Yes, that. Anyway, um, with the success of the MacBook Air, did you then go on and do the iMac? I trust you're kidding. Just because it didn't self-combust doesn't mean
0: stuff is actually working. I don't want to find things misbehaving after I've installed and probably when I need them most.
2: Now, you weren't the only one doing an OS update. I'd bigglesed my work MacBook. It was on Catalina, and I've been getting these nag screens popping up since way back in the summer, prompting me to update. I did try and do it, I'll be honest, a couple of months ago, but it failed. And last week, I got an email which said I'd not connected it to the network for several weeks, and was I still using it? Well, I only use it for delivering training, but yes, I do still use it. So rather than turn it on and connect it to the network and then turn it off again, I decided that I would update it to Biggles. We're not allowed to install Monty yet, so that's why I Biggles not Monted. But I couldn't just install it from the App Store. I had to go via an app which was installed on the device called the AZ Mac Self Service Centre. And from there I opened up the Biggles installation guide, which wasn't actually called the Biggles installation guide, not surprisingly. What? You know, one of these days I will put the word Biggles on workplace and have to edit the post. <laughs> when I see Big Sir, I think what? Oh, you mean Biggles? <laughs> Yeah, um yeah this this document it's it was just a Word document but it contained some pre-installation tasks that I had to do. And once these were done I was then able to download and install Biggles. And it was a 12 gig download. It said it would take five hours. My biggest problem was actually keeping the Mac awake. I'd gone in and I'd changed the settings in system preferences to tell it not to go to sleep. But the corporate screensaver kicked in every 15 minutes and there's nothing I could do about that one, which meant that I had to keep fingering the trackpad. That's a technical term, by the way, fingering the trackpad, akin to wiggling the mouse. Do
0: you remember when you had to keep a Windows machine awake? And what I used to do with it was put the mouse. So I, I'm updating maybe eight machines and you can't like run round them all just touching the mouse, keep them awake. I used to put the mouse on top of my watch and as the second hand went round. The mouse thought
2: it had moved. I remember that.
0: <laughs> oh, happy days.
2: The things we did. Anyway, it, it got to four o'clock, so I took Lola for a walk, leaving Biggles downloading. And when I got back, there was a message that said the download had failed, which meant that I had to start again. So, I re-downloaded it and left it to try again. And after three or four hours, it said Big Sir was ready, but it clearly wasn't, as I was left looking at a Catalina login screen. I logged in, the screen went blank, and I thought it had died. I wouldn't have been surprised the way things had gone so far, but actually it was just rebooting. Eventually, the progress bar appeared and it said it was going to take 30 minutes. So it had lied. Biggles actually wasn't installed.
0: (laughs) That's a classic.
2: Mm. (laughs) Usually it lies about how long it's going to take, not the fact it's actually installed or not. Well, that was my next point. We all know that Apple minutes are actually real minutes times two. As it was way past my bedtime, you said to me, leave it with you, but not before you'd asked me for my password. Well, if only it was that simple. I'd had to change my main AZ network password a few weeks ago, but when I logged into the Mac, it didn't recognise it. I think it must be cached locally. So I put the old one in and that worked. But later on, after I'd done the first failed install of Biggles and rebooted, it accepted the new password. So, my answer to your question of what's the password was uh, try this. And if that doesn't work, try this one. Yes. And with that, I went to bed, leaving it in your capable hands.
0: Oh, yes. So, away we went, putting two Catalina to Biggles fails behind us. I restarted the process yet again. After forcing the Mac to connect to the Wi Fi, so when it booted and you finally did get in, and I think you left it with me actually logged in. It doesn't automatically connect to the Wi-Fi, does it? It just sits there, looks like it's trying, but never actually connects unless you say, can you connect to the Wi-Fi, please? Is this some kind of bizarre security device?
2: I have no idea. I mean, it should connect to the network, but it never has.
0: No, it's weird. It's the weirdest Mac I've ever seen. And that's saying something. Uh, It just didn't want to connect on its own. So anyway, I got it connected and started downloading the installer again. Now, despite our Internet speed, it was crawling Uh, and you weren't wrong about the need to keep it awake. It just lapsed into a catatonic state, literally within seconds of taking your fingers off the trackpad. And I, like you, tried all the settings. Nothing made a difference. And if it went to sleep, the download stopped. So there I sat stroking the trackpad like a demanding cat. And it's harder than it sounds, uh, given that it it got stuck declaring 15 minutes and your 15 minutes was a whole 90 minutes that was on the screen. And, you know, towards the end, I'm thinking, no, it has. It's died. It's died. And, And then something was saying to me, no, 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 leave it here. Leave it here. It'll be fine. You also weren't wrong about the password thing. And I swear it was random as to which it would accept every time it rudely demanded it. And it demanded it more than once and more than just on the reboot either. Eventually, I managed to outwit the thing. And after another series of reboots and password roulette, I had a Biggles install. It still wouldn't connect to the Wi-Fi without a virtual kick. But now there was a whole range of permission issues. And these weren't the same permission issues that I'd found on mine, which I'm used to seeing. You must have some kind of um, incantations installed by work. So there's like a VPN and there's something else and something else and something else. They're all proprietary. And I'm thinking, well, do I just, you know, with complete abandon, say, yeah, fine, whatever. Uh, Or or do I actually have to read these things? And I thought, well, you know what? Let's just say whatever. (laughs) So I clicked OK on everything uh, and got past that. Another 20 minutes later and several rounds of permission roulette, it demanded another reboot. And I was expecting that this would be the last one. So I rebooted it. As soon as I was back into the computer, it proudly declared there was a system update available. Instead of installing the very latest version, it had saved that for another round of password and permission roulette. Four and a half hours later, it was done. So was I, to be honest. It only took all day, half the evening and another four and a half hours overnight. So the only thing left is to send the bill to your boss. Since judging by our adventures, it was impossible to do the forced update thing in a single day. Hence the overnight work. But still, at least it's done now, isn't it? It is. So what about the actual features? Or were you too exhausted to look? First one I was actually looking for was Quick Note because that on the iPad is a really cool feature. Uh, Lower right corner. But I didn't think that that was particularly obvious. But because it's there, it's going to pop up in my recordings if I move the mouse there. Naughty, naughty, Timmy. Not impressed. Then there was something we talked about a while back with you and your Apple Notes thing, which was note tags. And we discussed that they were only available in Monty. The issue with that is that once I got it installed, I think on the iPad and I was checking it on the iPad, it breaks notes on other devices. So if you've got a device that's not on the full Monty and is not on iOS 15, but on one of those devices, you have added a tag. uh, You can't see those notes on the older devices anymore. (laughs) That's not particularly impressive, that Apple not being able to actually see the content of the note. I mean, I can understand if it doesn't support tags, it doesn't support tags. Well, don't show the tags then. But to hide the content of the note like it doesn't exist is I nearly said bad words then. Uh, insanity. It's insanity. And all of that is before we get to older hardware that can't be upgraded. So I have an iPhone six plus. And it can't be upgraded. So despite the fact that it's in perfect working order, it actually had a new battery uh, a couple of years ago. So the battery's perfect on it. And I can use other Note systems on it. I can't actually use Apple Notes fully anymore. So that idiocy renders
2: Notes a non-starter as a note-taking solution for me. And that's me going back to drafts. It was good whilst it lasted. So long, Notes. I knew you'd be persuaded.
0: As soon as you said, I'm using Apple Notes, I thought "Mm, not for long. You're not. It'll do something. And I was quite right. It did. Then there was AirPlay to Mac, potentially Sherlocking AirFoil, the poor man's target display mode thing. But you know what? AirPlay in terms of audio, which is what AirFoil did. Since we got all the A-ladies, I have absolutely no use for this. What about
2: you? No, I've never used it and I don't plan to do so now.
0: I should probably console myself about that because knowing you, you'd airplay it to one of my machines, just like the remote.
2: I'm saying nothing.
0: (laughs) No, no. Anything that's potentially going to have an impact on me is you're confiscated. I'm confiscating it from you.
2: Okay. so let's let's leave that one alone then. Okay, let's, let's look at FaceTime updates. Did you know that you can FaceTime with non-iPhone users? You create a link to a FaceTime call, which is also a new feature, and you share it with somebody on an Android or a PC, and they can join from Chrome or Edge. FaceTiming with multiple people is easier with a new grid view. It shows everybody on the call with same-size tiles, and on Macs with an M1 chip, portrait mode blurs out the background. I haven't left the house in 20 months.
0: It might actually be better if it blurred me out. I have never used it. I am never going to use it. But each to their own. The thing that struck me as they proudly proclaimed, Safari has tab groups.
2: Really?
0: One word, Vivaldi. Longer version, Vivaldi, use a real browser. It's got a million times more features. I can't understand adding one new feature, you know, extending the functionality in one tiny kind of way and then trumpeting that as though you've reinvented the wheel. There's a million features that other browsers have that Safari can only dream of but they've added tab groups. So there you go. Oh, did you know I found this out the other day? I was on one of my sessions at one of my courses and this person was saying that they did a lot of research and they opened up a lot of browser tabs. Well, you know, we've all been there, haven't we? What would you say was a lot of browser
2: tabs? For me, about 10.
0: I probably have about 15 pinned. And what they are is different episodes of the show or something that I'm working on, probably in notion. And then I do have a tendency to open up like research. So when I get to the point of like uh, critical mass, I'm going to have to do something. I possibly at that point would have maybe 80, but I would never let it get beyond that because it's just unworkable. You you just can't work with, with stuff like that. So this person was making the point that uh, I think it was four times so far this year, they'd had to, like, do the bookmark all thing and do some pruning. So I thought, oh, fair enough. You know, happens to us all. Uh, and then he said, uh, well, I had to do that because I ran out of tabs. And I thought, what do you mean, run out of tabs? And this turned out to be on an iPad. There is a hard limit on how many tabs you can open in Safari on an iPad. I was totally unaware of this. This would be because I use Firefox, but never minding that. There is a hard limit. Were you aware of that? No. No, me neither. Uh, This said hard limit that he had reached four times is 500. (laughs) I mean, just, just think about that for a minute. I can't imagine on a desktop where you've got one more real estate... And two, the ability to, like, uh, scroll easier. But on an iPad, if you had 500 tabs open, just, just how would you use those tabs?
2: Shakes head sadly.
0: You know, just navigating from one to another. I'm thinking, like, if you're using Vivaldi, you've got the quick commands. And the quick commands would enable you to search for one of those tabs and take you straight to it. But you don't have that on an iPad. So I'm thinking, well, you just must be scrolling left and right to find the thing. There's no other way. And what struck me was worse than everything. I mean, 500 tabs open anywhere just blows my mind. But I'm thinking it would only take a crash and you've lost the lot. Mm. Wouldn't you be better off bookmarking them or, you know, writing them in biro on your hand or something? basically anything but relying on it. But there you go. So tab groups might might have saved him, depending on how many tab groups you can have. 500 tabs open.
2: I'd need value and a lie down. Surely you were more enthused about the focus mode. Oh, I was actually. Potentially useful
0: based on my iPhone and iOS 15. But because Monty isn't on my primary Mac, it's not quite as imperative right now. I love the idea of creating these focus modes and then sharing them between devices. But the one thing that struck me was I might want every device apart from one to be off you know, DND mode or a light focus mode. Um, but there's a thing to, to set it so it does all the devices. So uh, apart from that, I would want one device maybe that people could contact me on. But you know what would be nice in terms of focus mode? I don't know if it does this or not because I haven't tried it yet. You know, this two factor malarkey. I'd love to be able to direct that to a specific device instead of the whole house lighting up like a Christmas tree. I don't. Do they bypass focus mode or not? No idea. I could have something in focus mode and totally miss the prompt. Oh, I'm going to have to investigate this more. Clearly have to investigate it more. But I do think focus mode is one of the if not the the sole best feature that they've added, I have enjoyed focus mode immensely. Uh, then there were shortcuts. People have gone crazy for shortcuts uh, since they've been on iOS. And I must admit, I haven't used them much. I created one and it worked. You know, it was great, but it feels clunky to me. It It doesn't feel like proper automation. It feels like this is the best you can do because it's an iPad. So. Shortcuts, maybe, maybe not. But because, again, it's not on my primary Mac. Plus the fact Keyboard Maestro is where automation is at for me on the Mac. Version 10 was literally just released. I actually bought it before I even downloaded it. I got the email that said there's an update available. and I thought, bye. (laughs) And then afterwards, you know, when when you buy something and it says you want to download it. That has always struck me as a really stupid question because you would have had it downloaded to do the trial. Surely you wouldn't be downloading it at that point. But this time I appreciated that option because I thought, oh yes, I haven't actually installed it yet. It's that imperative. It's like just just buy it and there we go.
2: And I've saved the best for last. You'll be excited to hear about this one. Animated Mimoji Avatars.
0: And I think that's a really good point to conclude this piece. Before I say something, I will totally mean not regretting the slightest, but might upset Timmy. Me dissing his flagship new animated mimoji avatar feature. Shakes head sadly.
2: Oh, and since it's animated, so does the emoji. Joy. You're wondering, aren't you? What's a fan got to do with tech? Unless it's an iFan. I've just made that name up, although I bet Apple have already patented it. Anyway, I was looking at my tech collection for something to talk about. I think I've already talked about most things iPad, iPhone, AirPods, iMac, Surface. And then I thought, my desk fan. It plugs into a USB slot. Granted, it has no hard drive or RAM, but it does keep my tech cool. We've said before on MacBytes that we've not had central heating on at MacBytes headquarters for many years. And if you're wondering why, the heat generated by our kit is enough to heat a small country. But that's okay, because Timmy says Apple heat is green and environmentally friendly. The studio here has quadruple glazing, which is great for keeping unwanted sound out, but shocking for keeping unwanted heat in. Plus, our next-door neighbours have the heating turned up that high that we get to benefit too. So it's like an oven here, even in the winter. Yes, we're the ones with the windows open, letting cold air in on Christmas Day. So, back to my fan. I bought a small one about a year ago, again, a USB one that sits on my desk. But one day it started to make a right racket. I couldn't have it on when I was training. In fact, I couldn't have it on at all. I decided to take it apart to see what the problem was and then couldn't get it back together properly. It worked, but the noise was worse. So I bought another one. In fact, I bought two, one for my desk in the office and one for the studio. It needed to be small enough to fit on my desk. And at six inches with a small metal leg and a black plastic body, that fits my criteria. It needed to be quiet enough to be able to be on whilst I was working and powerful enough to cool me and my tech down. I obviously didn't read the specs properly on Amazon because when they arrived, I was surprised that the cable had a USB connector. Luckily, I've got USB chargers and USB hubs to draw the power from. As I said, one of my concerns was noise, but even on the highest speed, and this has three speeds, it's actually fairly quiet, to the point I've had it on whilst delivering training, as well as during marooned and by request and after hours. Even though it's directly below the microphone, because of the way that you've configured the mics, the whirring was virtually inaudible. I do turn it off during the recording of MacBytes and training videos though. I think there's a difference between a live show and a podcast or video recording, or maybe that's just in my head. But there we have it. I don't think there's much more that I can say about the Humble Fan. It does exactly what it says on the tin, as we say in the UK. It keeps me and my tech cool all the year round. It costs £20, which tells you that it's not an Apple product. That would have had an extra zero on the end and been sold as the iFan Pro Max. I would put a link into the show notes, but it looks like Amazon don't sell it anymore. There's plenty of similar ones, but I can't vouch for those. So I've put a link to the same product on the manufacturer's website, where it's on sale for $24, which is actually similar to the price that I paid.
0: One thing to mention as we head into November and NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month, is that Scrivener have a special longer trial version available and a template to allow automatic transfer of progress to NanoRimo headquarters. And if you complete your 50,000 word NanoRimo challenge, you are awarded a 50% discount on Scrivener. Even if you don't manage all 50,000 words, there's still a 20% discount. And of course, we are in the middle of our Scrivener masterclass on MacBytes After Hours. We are deep into the joy of the compile feature. And there's links to the special trial version of Scrivener, the template and the Scrivener Masterclass series in the show notes. And talking of Scrivener Compile. Another live MacBytes After Hours on Friday. We will have the usual fun and games together with demos and deep dives, including Mike wrangling pivot tables between numbers and Excel. And after a two week break, we're back to Scrivener Compile. It's Scrivener's secret weapon. So do join us at 9pm UK time on Friday. It wouldn't be the same without you. But that's it for this episode of MacBytes. As always, we would love to hear from you. So please send your questions, comments and queries by email to the crew at MacBytes.co.uk or use the contact form on the website. We also have a very active Slack chat room that's open 24-7. Simply go to MacBytes.co.uk slash Slack and join the conversation. You can follow MacBytes on Twitter at Twitter.com slash MacBytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike.
1: And you can follow me at twitter.com slash So,
0: until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you
3: MacBites. Goodbye. Goodbye, and see you next time. So have you completed your Christmas list yet?
1: I've not finished it, but I have certainly started it.
3: What have you added so far?
1: Just a little something from Apple, a stocking filler.
3: Really? There's nothing from Apple that does need a mortgage, is there?
1: I should be okay, it's the cheapest thing they sell.
3: You don't mean the infamous cloth, do you?
1: Yes, it's a bargain at only $19.
3: You have no chance of that arriving here.
1: But it's positively perfect.
3: Who said that?
1: Someone at Apple.
3: Timmy, you mean?
1: They wouldn't give their name.
3: And you believe them?
1: Well, they did tell me. Off the record you understand that it was positively perfect to caress all my delicate little places.
3: You mean your illuminated backside, don't you?
1: Among other places, yes.
3: Like I said absolutely no chance of unwrapping that on Christmas morning.
1: Oh I think you'll find I do. You've got something
3: on them haven't
1: you? No, it's better than that. Tell me. My lips are sealed.
3: Tell me or your delicate little places will be in need of more than caressing.
1: All right, all right. Come on then. I'm her designated Google two-factor device. The power of that is intoxicating.
3: If I had that kind of power, I'd be asking for more than a cleaning cloth.
1: That's an excellent point. Hold my beer. I'm going in again.